The name Machiavelli is infamous. To describe someone as Machiavellian is to suggest that they are unscrupulous, amoral, uh, and that they will do anything to gain and then to hold on to power. To discuss Machiavelli's great work, The Prince, I'm joined by Simon Haynes, CEO of the Ramsey Centre, and Jeremy Bell. I want to start just by reading a passage from chapter 15 uh, in, in The Prince. In my edition, it reads as follows, halfway down the page, many writers have dreamed up republics and kingdoms that bear no resemblance to experience and never existed in reality. There is such a gap between how people actually live and how they ought to live that anyone who declines to behave as people do in order to behave as they should is schooling himself for catastrophe and had better forget personal security. If you always want to play the good man in a world where most people are not good, you'll end up badly. Hence, if a ruler wants to survive, he'll have to learn to stop being good, at least when the occasion demands. Now, is this, does this actually represent uh, as total a rejection of classical and, and Christian notions of virtue as um, it is often said to? Shall I go? Do you want to go first, Jeremy? I would say yes, without hesitation and actually without qualification. Um, there's a later passage where the way Machiavelli puts it is a prince must learn how to enter into evil when forced by necessity. Entrare in male. Yes. Mm -hmm. Now, I think he means that. Um, there are people who will say, look, Machiavelli is not actually saying you should behave evilly all the time or anything like that. And they stress, he says, when forced by necessity. But I would say to them, okay, what this advice comes to is behave morally as long as it's convenient. And the moment, in your judgment, it becomes inconvenient, cease instantly, otherwise you'll be ruined. Now, no Christian or classical pagan moralist would ever say that. Um, it transforms the whole character of morality to say that. It basically means morality is a tool. And that's actually how Machiavelli describes it, in effect. A prince must use, I mean, my translation of the passage you read out, the last part says this, a prince, if he wants to maintain himself, must learn to be able not to be good and to use this and not use it according to necessity. Mm -hmm. Again, that brings it out very, very clearly. Morality is useful sometimes and sometimes not, which is to say it's a tool. <laughs> So, Jeremy, let me, let me, for the sake of the discussion, put an alternative view, um, which is where you said at the beginning that, that Machiavelli uh, rejects classical and Christian notions of the virtues. Uh, I think I'd probably agree as far as the Christian ones are concerned, but I'm not sure about the pagan ones. Um, it seems to me that if you, if you read what he says from the very beginning of The Prince, for one thing... Uh, he's very insistent on the virtues and qualities of a republic. Mm. He's less certain about the virtues of a principality. But a lot of what he says about the republic is couched in terms of republican virtues that we would recognise, particularly love of liberty. 
Mm. And one of his advice, pieces of advice to princes is, whatever you do, if you try to take over a republic, don't forget that they, they will never forget that you've suppressed their freedoms and their liberties. So that's one example of classical virtues that he does actually believe in. And a second thing I would say is that um, uh, if you look at that same chapter 15, Stephen, that you started out with, the very end of the chapter, and again, this is in my translation, uh, quite a complex series of sentences, but he says, if one considers everything carefully, doing some things that seem virtuous may result in one's ruin, whereas doing other things that seem vicious may strengthen one's position and cause one to flourish. Now, what I'm interested in here is this notion of flourishing. Uh, and he, he, Machiavelli calls this bene essere. Mm. Um, and I, I would be inclined to see that, and I'm interested to know what you think about this, uh, in terms of the classical virtue of eudaimonia. In other words, the flourishing, the, 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 the good life, the flourishing life, and particularly the flourishing state. Uh, and and uh, um, Machiavelli, it seems to me, posits that as the necessary condition for all other virtues to flourish. If you don't have a flourishing state, then nothing else will work. Uh, and it, it's, it's, this is complicated and we can talk about it more, and it has to do with the difference between the word virtu, as he uses it, and what we might think of as the virtues. Um, but it does seem to me that for him, that eudaimonia, that bene essere, is a value, an ultimate value, which, yes, sometimes, and I'm sounding like literally the devil's advocate, <laughs> bearing in mind that Niccolo Machiavelli yeah. was referred to as Old Nick. Nick repeatedly through the Renaissance and ever since. In other words, he was a synonym for the devil, mm. and a Machiavel was a crook and a knave. 400 references in Elizabethan drama to Machiavelli as a bad guy, mm. so I'm Pleased to hear Jeremy perpetuating this notion of him. <laughs> um, but, but I do think there's a lot to be said for the prince as uh, a defence of bene essere and eudaimonia and the good life. So sure. what do you think of that? Yeah. Well, okay, a couple of things. Regarding liberty, mm. you're quite right. Machiavelli says the memory of a republic's ancient liberty will never die. You need to watch out. And what does he conclude? The most secure path is to eliminate them or live in them, mm. your choice. Mm. In other words, yes, republics have a vigorous sense of how important liberty is, that will never die, so to be safe, destroy them. As in some cases the Romans did. <laughs> ah, <laughs> um, yes, well. Now, so, I mean, there's more to be said about, about Machiavelli on republics, certainly, as opposed sure. to principalities, but throughout this text, Machiavelli is giving advice primarily to princes, and it includes advice on how to secure a republic that you destroyed and turned into your principality. Mm. Um, now regarding eudaimonia, in a way I agree with you, and I think that this is actually where things come to a head. Mm. Um, the way I would frame it is, okay, can one's own well-being necessarily be um, incompatible with doing what is right? Mm. Now, I would say, okay, look, we were talking about Socrates earlier today. Socrates famously says in the Apology, um, it is better to die than to commit injustice, and it is better to suffer injustice than to do it. Now, I think Machiavelli would take that as a perfect illustration of the foolishness that he is seeking to undermine. Um, Imaginazione, he would say. Exactly, Rather yes. than um, ver verita. That's right. Yeah. And, of course, sooner or later one has to ask, well, 
is there something that transcends politics? In particular, is there an immortal soul? Will you be punished after death if no matter how successful you are in destroying your enemies and whatnot, nonetheless you do not live virtuously? Um, from the Christian point of view, and, and mm. I agree with you, in the case of Christianity it's much easier to see. St Paul says we must never under any circumstances do evil that good might come, even if that good includes our own safety. We must die rather than betray God or do injustice. Um, but you find a similar, although not quite the same, thought in paganism, I would say. And I talked about Socrates in Aristotle too. For Aristotle and Nicomachean ethics, there are some things you must never do. A limited number, and it's an interesting question, why not? But I think for Machiavelli, another way of putting his advice is, look, there is nothing that you must rule out a limine. Circumstances might arise where it is necessary to do what presently seems unthinkable. And if you're prudent, and you care about your well-being, your eudaimonia, you'll do them. Mm. Yeah, um, I mean, just picking up the point you're making about um, uh, Christian virtues, mm. I don't actually think, I, mean, I don't know whether you agree with this, but I don't think Machiavelli is actually hostile to the standard set of Christian virtues. He just says they don't work when it comes to running a state. So, I mean, he's been, he's been criticised for being, in fact, this is the standard criticism of him ever since the first attacks on him just after The Prince came out, for being um, basically the devil, for being anti-Christian. The book actually isn't anti-Christian. It simply says that that set of values doesn't belong in running uh, um, bene essere, a well-being, the state of well-being. Mm -hmm. So it's not, it's not that he's... Um, he's He's offering an alternative morality and denigrating the Christian one. He says there are two. There are actually, there's, a, there's, there's the morality, there's a set of values that will help you to create a flourishing state, and there's the set of values that, that Christians believe in, including charity and mercy and gratitude and uh, um, forgiveness and contempt for materialism and belief in an eternal life hereafter and, uh, and salvation and the importance of the individual soul. It isn't that he doesn't believe in all of those, he just says they don't work as political machinery. To me, ultimately, saying they don't work politically for Machiavelli would come to the same as saying they don't work full stop and therefore Christianity can't be true. That's a very big claim to make, I realise, and there's a lot to be said about it. But do you think, I'm interrupting, but do you think he's saying, um, I mean, it seems to me that one of the truly radical and disturbing things about this book is not so much that it propounds a vicious um, uh, a, a view of human beings as ultimately vicious, although he's pretty clear that people are cruel. Men are wicked. Mean, wicked. That sentence is in there. But, 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 but more that the disturbing thing about the book is that it says there are, it is possible for human beings to live with incompatible sets of values and that it is quite normal and human to believe, I mean, you might call this a kind of um, cognitive dissonance, but to actually believe in the Christen, Christian virtues, but at the same time also to believe in the importance of a flourishing state. And those two things are, to some extent, imply incommensurable value sets. And we live with both. Is it, we just live with both. Is it possible you don't look very that convinced. <laughs> well, is it possible that um, that's an extension? It's already implied somehow within Christianity, that the world is at odds with um, 
a flourishing Christian life. This is why people renounce the world, depart mm -hmm. from the world. Yeah. Um, why there there is that idea of um, you know the king that needs to divest himself of his authority to go off and become a saint in a monastery. That actually it's very hard. Um, which is different from Machiavelli if he's saying that it's impossible, but nonetheless... Exactly. It's, yeah. That's the key question. Is it yeah. merely very hard or is it actually impossible? Mm. I think Machiavelli would say it is actually impossible. Mm. And I would say from Machiavelli's point of view, and actually I agree with him, if it's impossible, that is a kind of refutation of Christianity. Mm. God made the world, God gave laws to the world. If he made our own life impossible as opposed to just quite difficult, mm. He cannot be a God of love and mercy and all the rest of it. Mm. Mm. So it, it ultimately it does ref, it would serve as a refutation. Mm. Um, he would see it as, as a refutation of Christianity. Yes. I mean, look, regarding the, if, if I can just say mm. another sure, thing, sure. We, we can come at these different questions from all sorts of angles. Sure. Regarding Christianity, Machiavelli is very mischievous about this, where he talks about ecclesiastical principalities in chapter 11, I think it is. Um, Yes, chapter 11 is on ecclesiastical principalities. He says about them that God is responsible for them in a sense. Um, they subsist by superior causes to which the human mind does not reach. And therefore, he says, I will omit speaking of them. For since they are exalted and maintained by God, it would be the office of a presumptuous and foolhardy man to discourse on them. Nonetheless, I had a lecturer once who said the most important word in Machiavelli, nonetheless. <laughs> If someone were to inquire of me how it came about that the church is now so powerful, well, here's my answer. In other words, having said one should not discourse on them, that would be impious, I'll discourse on them anyway. Yeah. I think it's deliberate. I think it's effectively saying, okay, this is the pious thing to say. God exalts them. There's nothing mm. that human reason can say about that. Okay, that's the pious thing to say. Now let's actually get to the effectual truth, that Which wonderful phrase. consistent with what he says about yes. princes, yeah. that they um, should appear to be religious. Yes. Let's actually <laughs> talk about how, in reality, the Pope went from being a despised prelate to yeah. being someone that princes fear, normal princes, if mm. you like, actually fear. Um, also, another example of a similar kind of thing. Mm. Right in the very last chapter, which often doesn't get discussed, um, the passionate plea yes, to have a free Italy. seize Italy and free yeah. from the barbarians. There is this amazing passage where he's saying to Lorenzo, look, um, the situation is perfect for you to do this. And amongst other things, he says this, here may be seen extraordinary things without example brought about by God. The sea has opened, a cloud has escorted you along the way, the stone has poured forth water, here manna has rained, etc. Mm. Clearly allusions to the Exodus miracles in the desert. But the way Machiavelli words it, here may be seen extraordinary things without example. In other words, things like this have never happened before, including in the Old Testament time. Mm. In other words, the miracles related in the Bible didn't actually happen. Mm. I think that is what he wants us to take out of that if we read him carefully. And yet, if you don't believe in miracles, you don't believe in Christianity. Mm. Well, it's, it's certainly clear that uh, the one thing that emerges from the book is an awareness of two distinct values sets. Mm. Uh, I mean, there's the Christian value set and there's the pagan one. And clearly Machiavelli believes that the pagan one is the one that works when it comes to creating stable and enduring states. Indeed. Uh, and possibly for those who don't know the history of the times so well, I can't say I know them as well as I'd like to, but it's worth recalling that Machiavelli lived in a time of basically civil war. Mm. Uh, and uh, uh, it was like the 
Italian or the Renaissance uh, Western equivalent of the Warring States mm. period in China. Uh, and Florence was a relatively small um, um, member of this group of warring states, including larger ones like Milan uh, and the Papal State, which was indeed very powerful and growing uh, mm. and aggressive, um, but also Venice. Yep. And also the presence of kind of super states from pressing on Italy from the outside, namely France and Spain, uh, and Florence being traditionally allied with France, but Spain being the, the immediate major national threat. And Machiavelli repeatedly, and as the book goes on, refers to those state, states which seem successful and should be taken as a model for how to create bene essere in mm. the Stato and those that shouldn't. Uh, for example, he's, very, um, he's full of praise for France and the way that the French constitution is set up with a parliament uh, and, uh, and the stability of France um, and also, as we know, full of praise for Cesare Borgia and... and uh, Not quite uh, full. Well, no, but, but, but he offers him as an example of how to be a successful statesman. Except that he wasn't Except successful. that in the... <laughs> while, he, while he was, while he was. Yeah. Um, but so it's worth remembering, I'm thinking of the end of chapter 18 here, um, and we've, we've referred obliquely to this, but he says, if a ruler contrives to conquer and to preserve the state, the means will always be judged to be honourable mm. and to be praised by everyone. So where he's coming from here is um, preserving the state is a supreme value. And that's when Florence is small and threatened by large states all around, when it's changed hands mm. so recently, when Machiavelli owed his own diplomatic career to the end of one Medici um, uh, rule and before the arrival of the one after, he's, he's in a kind of um, a sort of a sandwich, a twilight between one and the other, very conscious of threat. Maintaining the state is a, is a supreme value to him. I think there's an issue here. And Rome, is, sorry, Jeremy, oh, and yes. Rome is often adduced by Machiavelli as the supreme example of a successful state. Under some, of the, under some of its leaders. Well, yeah. yes. I was going to say there is a question here about the word state. Mm, sure. Issue. Yeah, Stato. Stato. Yeah. Um, my understanding is that Stato here, yes, it does mean state in our sense, but it also means status. And the connection with mm. status is mm. it mm. is the state, the condition of mm. someone who is ruling over mm. the principality in this case. And in fact, my translation of the passage you read out refers not to the state, but to his state. Yeah, lo stato, it says in uh, LO. Yes, LO. yes. Yeah, yeah. Let a prince win and maintain his. his state. And I think... It could mean the state that he's the prince of, but also of his course. own personal state. But yeah. I, I think Machiavelli sometimes is actually quite explicit is the <laughs> prince's personal security and well-being, which of course means his security as ruler of a secure state, yeah, which yeah. is fundamental. And where I think this actually becomes clear than anywhere else is when he's discussing two Roman emperors, mm. Marcus and Severus. Septimius Severus, mm. yes. Because when it comes to Severus, he's very clear, look, Severus oppressed the people, the masses, that the people were unhappy, and he made the soldiers happy, and that was absolutely what he had to do. Um, because that was how he kept himself secure. And of course, it also meant that the Roman Empire was free of divisions, but the perspective does seem to be, and that's good for Severus. Mm. <laughs> mm. Um, hence, it was his virtu, 
mm. that kept him secure and, as it were, incidentally also his state secure, albeit unhappy. <laughs> mm. um, can, we, can we get a final comment from you, Simon? Oh, a final comment. Um, simply, simply that I think it's worth bearing in mind when we're looking at the virtues, both the pagan and the Christian ones, all the seven deadly sins, all the seven virtues, it's worth bearing in mind that Machiavelli is probably the most critical thinker, if we're interested in critical thinking, almost in the, in the history of political philosophy, because he holds that standard set of virtues and vices up to question and says, well, whatever you say about how desirable these things may be, the fact is that people are not like that. Most people, at least some of the time, are cruel, fickle, cowardly, etc., etc. Now, you know, somewhere around, there is some truth in this. Some, <laughs> there is some truth in this. But some people are virtuous. Yeah, some people are virtuous, people but are he's saying that the people, or... somebody who is only virtuous in those senses is just not going to be a good ruler. And if what you need is a, is a state in which the other virtues and, and civilization can flourish, sometimes it may be necessary to break a few eggs to make that omelette. <laughs> we'll have to finish there. Thank you both. Yeah, pleasure.